We continue today walking through the first chapters of the book of Acts. We're calling our series Church on Fire. Two Sundays ago, our message dealt with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and we call that message Set on Fire. One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit's coming was that there were on the heads of those first followers of Jesus that received the Holy Spirit that day, cloven tongues of fire. They indeed had been set on fire last Sunday. Our message covered the latter part of chapter 2 of Acts. We called the message Burning Brightly. We said we got a glimpse of a church that was hitting on all cylinders. And they were a devoted people, devoted to the apostles' teaching and to, to the fellowship and breaking of bread. That is, having the Lord's Supper and, and prayer. And they were a distinctive people. The awe of God, the fear of God was there on them. They were a distributing people, selling possessions and meeting the needs of people around them. And they were delightful people. They were just meeting together at the temple and in their homes and eating food with gladness. And they were singing and celebrating and, and rejoicing together. And the, the favor of the Lord was on them. And we found out last week they were also dynamic people. There were signs and wonders that were being done through the apostles. And one such sign and wonder is the subject of our study this morning. If you've got your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite your attention to Acts chapter 3. In just a moment, we're going to read the first 10 verses together. And I want you to note on the screen and on your listening guide that the title of the message today is this, It Only Takes a Spark. Now, if you hear that phrase, and you immediately in your mind have these words, to get a fire going, right? You just dated yourself, okay? You were probably born in the 1950s. You're probably a baby boomer. You probably sang around a campfire or at a youth meeting that song, Pass It On, by Kurt Kaiser. It came out in 1969. It began with the Words that only takes a spark to get a fire going, and soon all those around can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread His love to everyone you want to pass it on. And what we see in our text today is a spark of a miracle that had absolutely amazing Results, as Peter and John, on their way to the temple to pray, encounter a man, a beggar man, a lame man, at the beautiful gate, and this miracle as it unfolds leads to a literal spiritual wildfire. So let's read these verses together. They'll be on the screen, Acts 3, beginning there with verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. Now that's three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed 
his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. There's an old saying that's been seen in many forms in many cultures, usually known as an old ancient Chinese proverb, and it simply says, a single spark can start a prairie fire. Now that phrase means what? That, that a simple word or, or some action can have great power. And it can set off a whole cascade of other words and other actions. It can be either positive or negative. The communist dictator Mao Zedong in China wrote a book, a, a, a really a long letter with that very title. A single spark can start a prairie fire. He was speaking about communism. In the little book of James, James 3, 5, James wrote, How great a fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. He was speaking of the power of the tongue. And I want you to note on the screen this one statement by way of introduction this morning. It is this, a single spark from a spirit-filled Christian can cause the gospel to spread like a prairie fire. And what we see in our text this morning is a spark. We've already seen sparks fly in the book of Acts, have we not? After those first followers of Jesus were set ablaze, they were ignited by the Holy Spirit. They go out into the streets. They're all bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. People are catching fire. And then a man on fire, Simon Peter, stands up to preach the first message of the early church, and we're told that 3,000 people respond to his message, and they are baptized. And what we're going to see in our text today in Acts chapter 3 is that Simon Peter seizes an opportunity in the aftermath of this miraculous healing that we're going to unpack here in a moment to, to preach his second sermon and when you get over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, you read that there were many people who heard his word and, and they believed, and there were added to them, Luke says, about 5,000 men. Now, Dr. Luke throughout Acts drops these little church growth reports, 5,000 men. He doesn't include the women and children. You could probably double that number. So Simon Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Simon Peter's second sermon, 10,000 or more get saved. 13,000 people after two messages, I'd say his ministry got off to a blazing start. Amen. But what precipitated 
that message was this healing of that lame man that we just read about here in Acts chapter 3. And I want us this morning to use that miracle and the aftermath of it to learn some very important spiritual lessons. Now, I'm of the persuasion, you may not be, and that's fine, but I'm of the persuasion there are certain signs and wonders and gifts that were meant only for the apostolic age, and and I don't believe they're really in effect today, but I do believe that we can look at this text and we can draw great spiritual applications from it. And so, let's jump in. Number one, I want you to note what the spiritually broken still seek. We go back to verses 2 and 3, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms twice. Dr. Luke tells us what he was seeking. He was seeking money, alms. He was seeking some loose change from them. Now, this man's going about his normal everyday routine. He never walked a day in his life. Friends or family carried him to his normal begging spot there by the beautiful gate. And this guy was smart. He figured worshipers that were coming into the temple were going to pass right through that gate. And they were going to be, you know, in a religious mood and in a spiritual mindset. And maybe they'd throw a few coins his way. He was hoping for some change. And man oh man. Did he get a change. A dramatic change. In his life. Now friends lean into this truth. Spiritually speaking. We are not unlike this man. He was crippled. Lame from birth. And I want to just say to you. So are you. And so am I. When you read scripture, you'll see that physical problems and diseases and and sicknesses taught spiritual lessons. For example, leprosy was a, a beautiful illustration of what? Something ugly. The corruption of sin. Blindness depicted the blindness, the darkness of heart and mind, spiritual ignorance. And you think about someone who could not walk. Someone who was lame. What a picture of the fact that without the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our lives, without our being saved, friends, we are so broken. We cannot stand spiritually. We cannot walk in the ways of God. Sin breaks us. Sin ruins us. Sin absolutely cripples us and turns us into spiritual beggars. Now, What do the spiritually broken still seek? What they normally seek, friends, many who are spiritually crippled and broken, they seek a temporary lift. They want something just to kind of help them get by. They want a few maybe loose coins of religion thrown their way. They may show up in a building like this, and it it may be somebody that that I'm talking to, and you, you, you don't really expect life transformation. But maybe if you just show up in church, you can kind of soothe your conscience a little bit. Maybe you can get over some of the loneliness that that haunts you, even though you're going to go right back into whatever it is that has caused you to be bound and to be broken. You didn't come here today thinking that you could be completely, totally, radically saved and transformed. 
What you may be looking for is kind of what this guy was looking for, and that is a temporary lift. Oh, spiritual beggar. Oh, person who is lame, unable to walk before God. Listen to this preacher today. You have a great need. You may have come here today, and you're just looking to get by. You're just wanting somehow to survive. Get a little temporary help. Get a temporary lift for what is proven to be a permanent need in your life. What if I told you that there was more? What if I told you that there was more than just getting by another day? What if I told you today there's more? You can not only get up, you can get going with a brand new life and get over completely That which has crippled you, and that is, my friend, your sin. What spiritual beggars often seek is a temporary lift, but what they should seek is a transformed life. When you look at verse 5 of our text, that beggar fixed his attention on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. What he has done has encountered two fellows that financially... We're not much better off than he was. For Peter, the spokesman of that duo, says, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Then he takes him by the right hand, lifts him up. Dr. Luke, the physician, kind of gives us the biologics of that miracle. His feet and ankles made strong. Verse 7 In other words, those lifeless, useless bones in his feet and ankles, they came together and they began to hold him up. And before you know it, he's leaping up. He's doing something he's never done before. He's walking and leaping and he is praising God. He got way more than he was asking for. Oh, lost friend, today if you are watching online or if you're in this building and you're far from God, I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God that Jesus Christ can do way more for you than just help you survive. Jesus of Nazareth is in the house today, and He can totally, radically change your life. You can get up and walk away from that which has kept you bound and crippled all your life. I'm saying Christ meets the deepest needs of our lives lives. You don't have to settle for just a Sunday morning handout. You don't have to just get by. You can get up more than just a temporary lift. I promise you can have a transformed life. Now having looked at the beggar, look at item two on your listening guide. Note how spirit-filled believers will share. Peter and John verse one tells us we're going up to the temple. At the hour of prayer, again, the Jewish day began at 6 o'clock in the morning, so this is 3 in the afternoon, the ninth hour. And God providentially had that beggar man placed on their pathway. Others might have carried him to that spot. Friends, I promise you, God sovereignly saw to it that he would be right there 
when Peter and John passed by. At that exact moment, he knew the man's deepest need. And he had two apostles who had been set on fire that were going to be passing by. Friends, understand this. God is going to put some people in your pathway who need to be radically changed, totally transformed, to be healed from that which has kept them so broken and crippled spiritually. And when you are spirit-filled, you're going to be like these guys. Hopefully, you'll see them. Also, hopefully, you'll be like these guys. In, in this way, you'll be solidified in a close alliance. It says Peter and John. When, when you read the Gospels, you get a picture of those two men, and you think they could not be more opposite. I mean, if, if we believed as Baptists in patron saints, I think Simon Peter would have been the patron saint of the reckless. He was brash. He was bold. He was impulsive. Then you have John, pictured as the apostle of love. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. He's pictured in the upper room the night before he's leaning on the chest of Jesus. He's a deep thinker. He's a patient man. Great theologian. You read the prologue to John's gospel. And normally those two kind of different guys would clash. They would irritate one another. I mean, it used to be Peter and Andrew, they were brothers. It used to be John and James, they were brothers. But now it's Peter and John. And they're headed up to the temple together to pray. What's the lesson for us in that? Friends, what in the world could cause two guys like that to get along and now be more than just mutual disciples, now to both be part of the body, now to be going together and worshiping together and ministering together? I'm telling you why that happened. Because they ran to the tomb together. And they were radically changed by the risen Lord Jesus. Remember that story? They hear the word from the women that Jesus' body is not in the tomb. They take off. And John outruns Simon Peter. The wide receiver always outruns a linebacker. Amen. But John stops and Peter, true to form, blows right by him, goes in the tomb, sees the grave close there. And then, of course, they both got fired up on the day of Pentecost. And they were fused together by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just saying, church family, one key to our being able to share as spirit-filled believers with others is we better get it together with one another. This world will never be drawn to a splintered and fragmented church. We don't need to be wired together by organization. We don't need to be frozen together by formalism and tradition folks we need to be melted together by love and fused together by the fire of the Holy Spirit but then I want you to know this spirit-filled believers will also be sensitive and they'll have this conscious awareness verse 4 says Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said look at us the message that I see there is with throngs of people going to the temple at that exact time, they saw this man. They directed their gaze at him. And I've got to ask myself, do I see spiritually broken people around me? Are they on my radar? 
How about you, dear friend? I just said a moment ago that God will intersect your life and put on your pathway people that are broken, people that are spiritually lame. Do, do we really see them? Do we take notice of the desperate need that they have that only Jesus Christ can feel? Here's something else spirit-filled believers will do. They'll speak with a confident assurance. Beginning with verse 4, we, we see some assurance. They said, look at us. I want to ask this question. Is your life a life of holiness and purity before God that you would have the audacity to say to a lost person, look at me? There's a spiritual takeaway there. And if that, if that were not enough of an audacious statement, they went so far as to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, he, if that old boy didn't get up and walk, they would have looked like fools. Right? But friends, as believers, as spirit-filled followers of Christ, our message to the world is a message that is just as spiritually audacious to say to somebody, the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. And he has the power to totally change your life. We can tell people they can be healed. They can be radically saved from what has broken them and, and bound them. The, the sinful condition, the lameness with which they've lived their whole lives. And we can say that with great and complete assurance. And anything less than that, anything less and telling somebody how they can be radically transformed by the gospel is just a few coins, some spare change of religion. Friends, we've got to do more than feel sorry for people whom we know are going to hell. We've got to give them the keys to heaven. And we do that through sharing the gospel. We've got to give them more than just a few coins of our spiritual jargon. Oh, we care. We're so sorry you're in the condition that you're in. We hope you get better. And if you ever do, come up to the church and see us. You know where to find us. No, dear friends. We've got to somehow, in the power of the Spirit, tell people who are crippled spiritually that they can be saved. They can rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And by the way, that's the name people need. More than we need to give them the name of our church, we need to give them the name above every name. The name of Jesus. The one who alone can radically change them. Let, let's Don't just reach in our pocket or our purse and pull out a few coins of a, a spiritual word here or there. Let's open up the treasure house of heaven. Share the gospel. Let people know they don't have to be beggars anymore. In the name of Jesus, they can be changed. And one other takeaway about how spirit believers will share, they will show compassionate action. Verse 7 says that Peter reached out his hand. He took the man by the right hand, and he raised him up. 
He not only fixed his gaze on him. He not only said words to him. Friends, he reached out and he touched him. And we can no longer afford to be up on the deck of the gospel ship and say to drowning people a word about Jesus. Folks, we got to dive in. We got to change our words into action. We've got to reach out with hands that we raise in worship to grab a hold of people and touch people in practical ways and deeds of service and draw them to Jesus and His name that alone can save them. Oh, we've looked at what spiritually broken people still seek and how spirit-filled believers still ought to share. But I want you to note this last truth on the screen. Note what surprised bystanders will see. Look at verses 8 and 9. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You understand that's probably the first time he had ever been inside the temple. And look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. It might have been his first time in the church of that day, but he made quite an entrance, did he not? Walking, leaping. Praising God. And those bystanders could not help but be astounded. And I might ask, what is it that bystanders still see today? I hope and pray they'll be astounded by people who are miracles. Look at verse 10. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate asking for alms. And look at this. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is what bystanders, lost people, unchurched people, they need to understand. If they ever show up in a worship service like this, they need to understand just who it is they're sitting by and who we are. We're not just people that are singing and going through some rituals and and some routine. Folks, the reason we're here singing and and clapping and, and rejoicing and praying is our lives have been changed. We're not spiritual cripples anymore. We're not broken by sin anymore. We're not bound up. We're not having to beg spiritually anymore. We're responding to what Christ has done in our lives. I dare say there's a somebody in this building that used to be so hung over on a Sunday morning you could not make your way to church. But Jesus of Nazareth showed up, did he not? There may be some couples here today, you were right on the verge of divorce, but Jesus of Nazareth passed by. There may be families here that were on the very brink of breaking up, but Jesus of Nazareth intervened. And your life was radically changed and transformed. What? bystanders need to see in their surprise at a worship service like this is they need to see people who are absolute miracles. But there's something else. Spiritual bystanders. If they really understand how we've been changed, we've been healed spiritually, they'll be attentive to the message that we preach. When you look there at verse 11, they were utterly astounded and they all ran to Solomon's portico. You think Simon Peter is going to let an opportunity to preach pass him by? Verse 12 says, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And I love this. He says, why, why are you staring at us? As if it was by our piety or our, our power that this man got healed. No, no, no. 
He lets them know it was in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, he says it's faith in that name that's given this man perfect help. And man, he lets it rip. And he preaches a sermon. He lets them know their culpability in the crucifixion of Jesus. He talks about the resurrected Christ. And when he gets down to verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And 5,000 men, besides how many women and children, took him up on the offer. He had their attention. And it all started with a spark. Of a miracle. In 1855, there was a man in Boston, you probably never heard his name. His name was Ed Kimball. He taught young men, teenagers, at a local church. Thank God for any that teach teenagers, amen, and boys and girls. And there was one young man, 18 years old, who came to his class that had not yet professed his faith in Christ. And Ed Kimball was concerned about him, so he went to see the young man. The young man worked at a shoe store there in Boston. And Ed Kimball went back to the back storeroom where that young man was stocking shoes on the shelves. And he put his foot up on a shoe box and his hand on the young man's shoulder, startling him, but poured out his life story and the gospel and led that young man to Christ. And that young man's name was Dwight Lyman Moody, D.L. Moody. If you know the story of D.L. Moody, he became the most well-known evangelist in America in that day, even in Civil War days. And he shook two continents for God, powerfully used in the United States, powerfully used in Europe, especially in England. It's said that there were 100 million people who heard D.L. Moody preach face-to-face. One such young man who heard D.L. Moody was a college student in Lake Forest, Illinois. The year was 1878. D.L. Moody was preaching a crusade in Chicago, and this young man, studying for the ministry, took that 40-mile ride down to Chicago to hear Dwight L. Moody preach, because even though that young man was raised in a Christian home, Preparing to be a minister of the gospel, he doubted his salvation. He wasn't sure he was saved. Sometimes he felt saved. Sometimes he didn't feel saved. So he went to the inquirer's room after the crusade service ended, and D.L. Moody came in the room and sat right next to him. And using John 5, 24, led that young man into the assurance of his salvation, the spark that had gone from Ed Kimball to D.L. Moody and set him ablaze, now set that young man ablaze. That young man's name was J. Wilbur Chapman. I spent a little time yesterday morning reading about J. Wilbur Chapman. He was an incredible evangelist. You can't believe the crowds that, that he drew. The fire was spreading. There was a ball player in Chicago that through the ministry of the Pacific Garden Mission had gotten saved through one of their meetings, he heard them singing and sharing out on a street corner, followed them in to a service, gave his life to Christ. And he came to the attention of J. Wilbur Chapman. And J. Wilbur Chapman brought him on his team, and he was his advanced man. And J. Wilbur Chapman just poured into this young man. And that young man caught the fire of J. Wilbur Chapman. 
eventually would take over his ministry when Chapman went back into the pastorate. And that young man's name was Billy Sunday. Anybody in the house ever heard of Billy Sunday? What an evangelist. It said that he preached over 100 million people face to face. One million definitely noted converts in the ministry of Billy Sunday. On one occasion, Billy Sunday went to Charlotte, North Carolina. Had a great crusade. And God set some local businessmen on fire. And they began a prayer meeting. And they would meet sometimes out on a farm outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And they were still burning a couple of years after that crusade. And it was about a year before Billy Sunday died. They weren't able to get him back. So they, they got another man to come preach named Mordecai. Ham. He preached for 11 weeks. It said 6,400 people were saved in that 11-week crusade. And there was a young man just shy of his 16th birthday that finally came to the crusade even though he had been turned off because he heard Mordecai Ham was going to call out some teenagers. He heard Mordecai Ham was a fighter. He liked fighting. And a boy in his school said, you can drive my dairy truck. Pick up some of us and we'll go to the crusade. And he fell under conviction. And he went night after night and he thought Mordecai Ham was preaching right to him. He was so under conviction that he, he couldn't sing a lick, but he got in the choir so he'd be behind Mordecai Ham. But one night that young, tall, lanky farm boy walked down the aisle and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And his name was William Franklin Graham. We know him as Billy. Billy Graham preached to more men face-to-face than any man in history. It said almost 215 million people in over 185 countries heard Billy Graham preach and came to faith in Christ and multiplied millions more through radio and television. Folks, don't ever say, I'm just a Sunday school teacher. Don't ever say, I'm just... A layman. What can I do? Do you think Ed Kimball could have ever imagined the prairie fire spiritually that would be sparked when he walked into the back room of that Boston shoe shop and led Dwight L. Moody to the Lord? Oh, dear friend, it only takes a spark. Look at that last statement and we're done. May God use both our words and our works to make sparks fly for His glory. Amen. Mm-hmm.